welcome back. This is Castlin and Always Acting Up. This is a podcast where I share all of my personal stories and journeys as an actress in the entertainment industry. This episode, I have a special guest and we are going to talk about how things sometimes just happen, but you also have to make it happen. But before we do that, I want to give a quick shout out to all of you guys who are following along, listening, podcast, Instagram, where else? YouTube. And of course, none of this could be possible without my producer, Hisani Johnson. Yay. Okay. And like I mentioned, I do have a very special guest today and I'm really excited because first of all, we haven't talked in quite a while actually in person besides, you know, text messages and all that good stuff. And we've known each other for, I want to say like a good five, way over five years, I think. Way. Way over five years. And so a dancer friend of mine, but also an actress, a fellow podcaster and American Horror Story star. That's really hard to say. (laughs) Welcome, Jennifer Lynn Warren. Hi, Kathleen. It's so good to see you again. I'm so glad you're doing this. Yay. You know what's funny is the last time I had a guest on, he was like, oh, I, I was waiting for the applause. So I was like, I'm sorry. I totally like I should have had like a different type of applause so it can be different. But I just I don't. So enjoy. And I'm glad you can be here today. I'm glad. Glad I could be, too. Don't have too much going on. So, well, that's actually not true. But I'm sure we'll get into that. (laughs) Yeah, we will. Well, and actually, I want to talk to you because you have a podcast yourself, which I didn't even know about. And you know what's funny is when I was browsing podcasts, I'm pretty sure I had heard of your podcast and like listened to your podcast, not even realizing it was you. And I don't think I put together that your voice like, oh, it's June. I don't even think I put it together. So tell me, what is the name of your podcast? I think I, I have like this really kind of teachery voice I start to put on in my podcast sometimes. Um, it's called the Hollywood Actors Guide to Surviving the Film and Television Industry. In fact, I even wrote a book by the same title that is for, I, I think it's free on Amazon. I meant to put it up for free. I know God knows if I did it right, but um, awesome. And it's, yeah, I started with one podcast called Involuntary Act, and it was too similar to podcasts that suddenly like, Anna Ferris and Dax Shepard and Michael Rosenbaum were doing. And I'm like, I'm not going to compete with those guys because you're going to want stuff from A-listers and they can get better guests for what their content is. But what I couldn't find is, all right, there's there's podcasts out there for the very, very beginning actors. Mm-hmm. And then there's podcasts out there where they're like, I hate walking the red carpet, don't you? And like, you're like, oh, so I have no more shelf space for my Emmys. What am I going to do? Like, all you know, all of those kind of problems. They're like, those aren't my problems either. Mm-hmm. What about the actors that they, they know what they're doing and sometimes they need to remind themselves that they know what they're doing and they have success and then the success falls off and they have more success and then success falls off and they're back to waiting tables and they're like, well, what about, you know, everything I just did? And then they find success again and they're just like, what is going on? And I think there's a certain breed of actor that kind of rides this wave in Hollywood and that's the wave that I've been riding. Mm-hmm. Of like sometimes being recognized in public and then sometimes waiting on a table that recognizes me from a TV show that I'm currently on. That is never fun because that is super awkward. <laughs> to like 
does my agent even remember I exist? And, you know, and you start getting insecure and you're like, I haven't had an audition for weeks. Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, like people who have like no credits are auditioning like, oh, 10 times a day. And you're just like, what am I doing? And there is a place for actors like that and a place for us to come and like figure it out. And that's the home that I've made my podcast. And mm-hmm. we talk about things that a lot of podcasts don't. Like I teach my actors how to memorize because it never seems to be taught how to memorize, how to learn a script. Actors like, I hate memorization. I'm like, well, then you hate your characters. You don't know how to do it. Or like, how do you act in audition? Like we talk about acting, you know, and everyone mm-hmm. wants to talk about the business, which is great because that is the hardest thing to get down sometimes even more than just the acting stuff. And there's so much business advice. I'm like, yeah, but like, what about acting? What about crying? What about laughing? What about if you hate your scene partner? What if you start falling in love with your scene partner? Mm. The love throb of your life that you've had a poster in your bedroom of for the past 10 years is suddenly your scene partner. Like, how do you deal with all of that? Has that happened? No, but I'm trying to. And so I need to figure out how to deal with that in case I'm able to make that happen. (laughs) You know, I've listened to your podcast. I thought it was really great. And I, and I like what you said. Like, I agree. There's like the beginning actor and then there's like the celebrity and people in between, like you and I, everyone's like, well, where have I seen you before? And you're like, well, I've done a lot of short independent projects that you've probably never seen before. Yeah. There's us in between that. Sometimes it's like, we know what to do, but like maybe we need a little bit of help, suggestions. Like, what do you do? And what do you, how did you respond in this situation? So I thought it was really great. And also, I wanted to mention oh, go ahead. you mentioned you have a, a certain voice. I actually wrote down, like, as a note here, did you ever watch that SNL skit from Saturday Night, oh, Saturday Night Live skit with Anna Gasteyer? And I think it was Will Ferrell, Sweaty Balls. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what came to mind I was I was listening to you I was like oh my god she sounds like Anna Gasteyer from the sweaty ball skit (laughs) sorry all right I'll take it Uh, I will take it Uh, what I also what I wanted to say there's a trap with success Mm -hmm. there's a trap and, and an idea of the actors like I, I coach, especially the ones that haven't done anything yet. And they're like, oh, man, if I book this five-liner on NCIS, my career is going to skyrocket. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something. Like, it takes a lot to get a nudge in your career. Like, even the stuff that I've done, I've gotten nudges to actually get, like, a skyrocket is is so rare it that's actually something i want to talk about in our next little topic because yeah you know you do this like one big thing and you're like i'm a celebrity like um mina mina masood i don't know if i'm saying his name right from aladdin he's like yeah i'm in this huge blockbuster movie and now you don't even hear about me and i can't get an audition and you're like wait what yeah and it, it very I mean that film did really well and I actually really enjoyed that film I, I was worried and he was so good in it dude can't get an audition and he has the lead that's crazy in a high national film worldwide film opposite Will Smith yes that is a wake up call yeah it's crazy 
the, the, I, I have, I really don't know of an actor that has reached that kind of celebrity that either hasn't been doing it for so long, like since they're little kids mm-hmm. or they don't have famous parents. And so like they can get into all the rooms and like the head of CAA comes over for Christmas. Like they have those doors that are wide open and people want to suck up to their parents or their brothers or their sisters. And so they cast them hoping they can get this other person on their project. That happens all of the time. I was just having this conversation with somebody in my podcast and I was like, unless your uncle is Steven Spielberg, it's going to be a little bit more difficult and challenging for you. And that means me, (laughs) me too. So, and then you talk about all this stuff on your podcast and like, Tips, tricks, all that good stuff on your podcast? Correctly. Yeah. And I'm, I am so honest on my podcast. Like, I I will tell people how I booked roles. I will tell them when it was nepotism. Like, I, people are always like, oh, how did you get your side card? And I'm like, well, I booked a role. And they're always surprised because most people get it through, like, extra work. I was like, I'd actually never done extra work. I had not done extra work until I was running out of my SAG insurance and I needed to make, like, another two grand. So I did a bunch of extra work at the end of a year to keep my health insurance. My mind is bl- You never even started with extra work? No. What? It never, it never crossed my mind to do wow. extra work. I, I don't even know what to say. That's crazy. I thought that was like everyone starts with extra work so you can get on set and like know what things are. Kind of just like get the feeling and the flow. But wow, that's impressive. I'm fascinated. But I will also, I will also say that I, I know that, I mean, I think I know that part of me getting my sad card was a bit of nepotism. Hmm. We all need was, a little bit of help sometimes. Okay, we all need it. I was. This is what I did, guys. And I know not everybody can do this, but this is what I did. But this is also a lesson in take every opportunity that comes your way. Just take them all. Because I had done, I was in Shreveport, Louisiana, and I saw a casting call for a student film at Louisiana University of Shreveport. Mm-hmm. And like he, he was like, how's that going to start your career? Like, <laughs> really going to go do that? Well, I went and auditioned, and I and I was cast, and then I was cast in the next show, and the next show I was cast in, the um, director was Emmy Award winning actor Pruitt Taylor Vince. Okay, I had no, I had no idea who that was. I had no idea he had an Emmy. It was just a guy, the director. I fought with him all the time. We've got a really solid friendship from it. He's one of my best friends to this day. Aww. And we were going out for Thai food, and I got this text message from my agent. And she was like, hey, I don't know if you're okay with this, but there's this audition. It's nudity required. And the audition is in Baton Rouge. And it's pre- that's pretty much like a drive from, like, L.A. to, like, Maybe Big Spur. It's a pretty good haul. Mm, okay. And, and I was like, oh, I don't want to drive all by myself. And she's like, and because you have to be nude in the audition. What? Yeah. So if you're going to do nudity, now here's the thing. They are not. I've never heard of that before. They are not allowed to have cameras in the room. Mm, okay. That, that's fair. And you bring a, um, a person with you. I forget what they're called, but you actually bring a person with you. A witness so of I, some sort. Like a a chaperone, I guess. Exactly. So (laughs) you feel comfortable that if they see something weird, they can pull you from this situation. But it's a sad film. And through my agent, Charlotte, and I'm not shy. 
Like I had done nudity on stage in college. So I was like, screw it. Mm-hmm. So I turned to my Emmy award winning actor friend Pruitt. And I was like, Hey, <laughs> Baton Rouge with me. And he actually, weirdly enough, had a house down there at the time he was selling and he had to go pick up some stuff. Hang on. Were you living in Louisiana or were you in LA going to Baton Rouge? Or you were, you were, so you were living in Louisiana? Living in Louisiana okay. at the time. And so suddenly in the room, I, I'm doing my thing with, and the director's watching me and I'm like pretending to swim. It was, it was a little weird because she doesn't have any lines and she's screaming a lot and she dies and she gets torn apart by a creature. It's a throwback to the opening of Jaws because Sid Feinberg was one of the producers on this show hmm. who started the careers of like every director you've ever heard of in like the eighties. Wow. Um, you know, he, he, the reason Jaws exists. Um, he, he started Steven Spielberg's career. Also, him being a producer on the on the film, you're like, well, it's freaking Sid Sheinberg. I'm going to go. And so, I like, the director is very focused on me. He's answering my questions. Like, a very comfortable room. And I see Lisa Marie Dupree, who's this great casting director. I love her. She's just, like, looking over to the side. And my friend Pruitt, who's so respectful, he's just down on his phone, like, texting, not looking at me because it's weird. His friend's, like, naked. Or yeah. And she's just getting this look on her face, like, is that? No, it can't be. No, 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 no. And so I go out into the waiting room, and she runs after me. And she's like, hey, is, is your friend, like, I think Pruitt went to the restroom. Is that Pruitt Taylor Vince? And I was like, yeah. She's like, do you think he'll read for us? I'm like, dude, I don't know. Go ask them. <laughs> I'm not his, I'm not the boss of him. Like, I don't know if he wants to do your little low-budget indie film. And so... When Pruitt came out, he was like, ah, you know, I'm just getting the script. I won't read for you, but, you know, if you want me to, I'll just do it. Okay. Like, I got the call from my agent, and they were like, hey, since you and Pruitt are friends, would you be willing to drive Pruitt to set since he can't drive, he can't legally drive? And they're offering you this role as well, and you guys will stay in, like, a two-bedroom suite. And I was like, that's fine. And he, But you got to wonder, like, did I get the role, which was, Oh, crazy! Because I ended up swimming with real alligators, and I drowned on set. Oh god! Did I get that role because I brought that friend with me, and they wanted him in the film? Hmm. Answer is yes. Don't care. I got the role. <laughs> Look, sometimes it doesn't matter as long as you get it. I get it. I totally understand. You care? Like you're dead in the water. You'll never be able to use your contact that mm-hmm. you do get. You'll, you'll be shy about it. You'll be like, oh, I, I can't, you know, ask so-and-so if there's a role for me because we're friends and that's just not cool, even though this feels like it was written for me. Like, you can't do that. That's the whole game. The whole game is you have to be good, obviously, but it's. I have forward. Yeah, it's it's networking and friendships and, and connections. Okay. And so, first of all, I didn't know you lived in Louisiana and that's what I want to chat about. That totally makes sense. Like I have so much clarity right now because I remember we were in this dance company and all of a sudden I was like, oh, Jen's leaving three weeks to go do PA work in Louisiana. And I wasn't sure how that came about. And then all of a sudden you were on a TV show. Let's talk about this. Uh, here, Here's the thing I think actors need to know. Mm-hmm. When you're on set, you need to make friends. Mm. Stop hanging out with the people that are at your level and you need to start hanging out with people who either do things that you don't understand 
and you don't know about or people that are further and can become peers and that you can actually glean information from. Hmm. And so when I was on Creature, I ended up becoming really good friends, first of all, with the stunt coordinator, Rudy Weber, who's still a dear friend of mine, and the line producer, Michael Cuddy. I had no idea what a line producer was at the time, Mm -hmm. but he started having me watch his computer and things like that. And um, so he was doing a film in Louisiana. I was living in Los Angeles at the time. Yeah. And I was... I was doing things like I was on like the Conan O'Brien show doing skits. I actually twerked on that show of all things. I was actually wanted to ask you about that because I went into like uh, I browsed on your IMDb and it says twerk girl. And I was like, what? You booked a role called twerk girl. I need to see that and I need to post it below because that's amazing. We we all need to see this. <laughs> amazing. So I I did that. I did a couple other skits. I did some skits on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and just like little things and like indie films. And I was just like, I am just like, I need, I need more. I need more. I need more. And so I contacted my friend, Mike Cuddy, and I was like, hey, I want to learn to start producing because I saw that the trend was becoming, even like 10 years ago, that actors that were creating their own content were making their their own things happen. They were opening their Mm -hmm. own doors and they tended to be actors that were not like classically gorgeous or classically connected, things like that. Like, you know, like Fleabag and like Mindy Kaling, like people were just like just scratching those doors open. I'm like, I need to learn how to do that. So when I went down to work on this film called Dermaphoria, it was, yeah, it was, I was being paid as a PA that's how he got me in the door, but I was assisting all of the producers mm, on the show. That's smart. And so anytime, because if you ever do office PA work, which I highly recommend it, because there's some great perks to it, especially if you're a screenwriter, a lot of downtime to write and you're getting paid for it. I actually didn't even know that was a thing. I knew there was PA work on set, but I didn't know that there was, I mean, it makes sense. You're a production assistant. You help everybody. And to be in the office probably is a sweet deal. Yeah, so separation if you're a set pa you're not in the office if you're an office pa you're not on set with some exceptions i I got to bring the paycheck to the crew that is fun you want to make friends on set be an office pa and bring bring the crew paychecks and know their names everyone likes money say hi to you (laughs) (laughs) so i was i was down there i was frustrated with my career because nothing was really happening the way I wanted. I was going in for all of these bikini roles and like girls that I knew that they were going to cast Russian models for. They were not going to cast me. And I was frustrated. And so when Michael reached out and he's like, Hey, do you want to come to Louisiana and do this? I was like, yes. And while I was there, my agent, um, my Louisiana agent, Don Landrum, who's still my favorite agent in the world. She's my ride or die. And if I can get away with having a great manager here and just keep her as my agent, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm trying to do right now. Um, she was like, Hey, there's this audition on this date for American horror story. And I was like, Don, I worked that day. It's important that you all hear this, 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 you need to hear this. I go, Don, I don't, I don't really want to go. It's like, oh, but it's it's for Megan Lewis. So Megan Lewis is a casting director that I have a long time relationship with. Mm. And you need to hear this conversation as well. Like, I, I just have to share. You're going to end up. I'm like waiting. I was like, you had an audition and you didn't want to go for American Horror Story? 
The only reason I went was because Megan Lewis was the casting director, and I love Megan. Mm-hmm. Megan is a casting director. The first time I read for her was for, like, this movie called Criminals for Dummies. Like, um, it was never even made. Mm-hmm. And I read it, and she looks at me, and it was just her and me in the room. And she's like, and she never stacks her actors. If you audition for her, there might be one other actor that you see in the audition room. She never does, like, sheep calls. And she's like, you're not right for this role. And I go, you know what? I am not right for this role. (laughs) Do you have anything I am right for? Okay. I don't know where that came from. Like, I just had the the balls in that moment. Do you have any? And she goes, yes. And she goes and gets me this audition for Treme, works on it with me, tapes it, sends it to the producers of Treme, Called me that night and goes, hey, are you still in New Orleans? Because I know you drove down from Shreveport for this. And by the way, if you ever want to be a regional actor, they hustle, guys. It's no joke. We will drive. Mm-hmm. Fly. We do not care. Yeah. Actors, I got to go to the Valley for an audition. Please. So. That's what I'm doing now. Yeah. I ended up in a producer session for Treme and they were like, Oh, we love you. You just don't look like you do drugs. Cause we need you to be like raced in. And they brought me in all the time. I was just going in straight to producers for Megan for a long time. And then she brought me in for one of the leads in Planet of the Apes. I had like, my ears were stuffed from the flight. Cause I flew in from it and like went right to the audition. I didn't have any spare time. Mm-hmm. Cause I had got the audition the night before and I couldn't hear her reader and it was a producer session and I said Megan I can't hear your reader I need you to read with me I did it again I didn't do any better than the first time I had Mm. done it like I bombed that audition and I didn't hear from Megan from for a while Mm. and I thought I'd blown it oh Don was like listen this is for Megan Lewis and I was like is it producer session she goes no and I'm like okay she's probably like I have to go in and earn my mm-hmm. place in her audition room again, which I'm fine with. I was like, all right, listen, let me go ask Michael. So I, I was like, Cuddy, I need to cut out for an hour for an audition. Is that all right? And he's like, yeah, sure. He's so supportive. Wow. So they told us to not wear any hair, like don't do our hair, don't do our makeup for that audition. And I was like, fine, because I'm not going to. I showed up in <laughs> glasses. I was in my set gear because it was pouring that day and we were running stuff to set and just, you know, it's so muddy. And I did it. I did the audition once. I nailed it. And she goes, that was great. Um, Can we do it again, but do this? And I go, Megan, I'm sorry. No, I can't. I have to go back to set. What? And I left. Actors think they have no power in the audition. That's crazy. My agent calls me the next day. I'm handing out checks on set, doing my favorite thing. And she goes, so you didn't book the role you auditioned for, which turned out to be a fake role. It didn't actually exist. Oh. And she's like, but they want you to be Kathy Bates' oldest daughter. And she couldn't pronounce her name. It was Borgita Lalori. And I was like, oh, I love Kathy Bates. And it started shooting like two days after my current job was done. So there was no conflict there. So I was like, great. I'll just stay in New Orleans. It was a two-day co-star mm-hmm. on the opening scene. Here's what you got to understand, guys. You <laughs> have friends on set. You can't just sit there and not and not do your job. Uh-huh. We need to do our job. We do the acting for free. Your job on set is to get your next job. Mm. So I go to lunch in my big hoop skirt and everything. 
oh god the costumes were amazing yeah and i circle and circle i'm giving you guys gold right now i circle and circle and circle the lunch the, like, the buffet they make a seat at until i see somebody important that doesn't have anybody sitting next to them and then brad who's one of the writers on the show went and sat down now i knew he was a writer i didn't know how much other power he has in hollywood mm-hmm. i'm fascinated when I booked this role, I looked up all the writers, all the directors, all the producers. I Googled them. I looked them up on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Do they have websites? Do they have pets? Do they have hobbies? What do they like? Who are these people? What do they look like? Mm-hmm. Because you never recognize a producer or a writer on set. It's true. Not the real ones. Not the ones that make decisions. Mm-hmm. They make sure that they hide and they're like camouflaged. I've noticed that. Mm -hmm. So I go sit next to him and we're just talking and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and, and I just start rubbing my hands. This is an acting thing I'm doing guys. I start rubbing my hands and he's like, your hands all right. I was like, right before I booked this job, I was out rock climbing and I did like a really like long day because I didn't know I was going to be working this. And my hands are just like cramping. And he's like, you rock climb. And I'm like, yeah, I love it. And I really do. I really do love rock. Climb. I do know how to rock climb. So I knew I could. Okay. So we ended up having like a conversation about rock climbing the whole rest of lunch. Mm-hmm. And like, so you like being really active and stuff, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm usually the actor that books the stunt work where they needed actual actors who knows how to act. They can't mm-hmm. just have a stunt person. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, great. That's good to know. Next thing I know, I'm getting, I'm getting called by Dawn and she's like, they need you to stay for another six months. Whoa. I was like, what? And she's like, okay, so I am, I'm looking at your contract because you're going to be doing stunt work with your character. You're going to be going to zombie school. Um, they're going to need to record your movement so we can send them to Ryan Murphy so he can make decisions. Um, we're going to need you to have like a certain number of stunt days versus actor days. Mm-hmm. And so like all of that stuff that, that came out in like episode five, which was like really the girls being dug up. I don't know what was there before I booked that role and sat at that table with that executive producer slash writer slash ended up being the director of a couple episodes. Wow. But, and I've gone in for him several times out here in LA because he knows I'm out here. That's brilliant. Don't know where the push, but I guarantee you at some point in that writer's room, he's like, hey, did you know one of the sisters actually does stunts? So we can give her like this crazy, we can have her break down a, a door and fall and, and all that. She knows how to do all that. And they were like, great. And next thing I know, it was in the script. And yes. I was for, you know, a long time because I told our dance person, coordinator, whatever she was. Lady. We need to talk about her. <laughs> we talk about people to avoid in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, hey, I'm just going to be gone like three weeks. And then like I never came back. Wow. And so what season? Okay, so this is American American Horror Story. I cannot say that word. What season was this? Uh, This was season three. But I I should put a caveat on this because I was also in season two. Okay. And how many episodes did you get to do all together? Because you, yeah, you were there for forever. 
six and three, and I did one and two. That's dope. So my season two, and this is not what I booked in Louisiana. I booked season two in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Season two was a call I answered on Actors Access. Mm. I did not have an agent, and they needed somebody who was comfortable being naked all day on set. Do we have a little <laughs> running theme here for me? Because they needed a body double for one of the actresses that Zachary Quinto's character kills, puts her in a freezer, takes her out of the freezer, and then does very nasty things to her dead body. And they didn't have time because that makeup took like eight hours to do on my body. Mm, wow. Because they had to do frozen court dead. And we did it in one take. And I remember that Alfonso, who is the director and also one of the executive producers on American Horror Story, was like, that was amazing. I can't believe you let us do that to you. Mm -hmm. I hope we see you again. So it could be that when I auditioned for Megan Lewis and he was like, hey, isn't that that girl that we put through hell on that day Mm. who got it in one take that was so nice and was like pleasant to be around? Is that her? I loved her. We don't even need that because I never got a callback for American Horror Story. Never got a callback. This is amazing. Never saw producers. It was a straight offer from one audition. Never screen tested. Mm-hmm. And this goes along with my with my theme for this episode of like, you just never know what's going to happen. And I think that had you not accepted the audition or not accepted the what, the body double role, you know, you, these opportunities wouldn't have happened. Because I hear so many people say, like, all the time, well, if it's meant to be, it'll meant to be. And I'm like, well, you can't just sit at home and wait. Like, it's, it's not going to happen. Like, you have to kind of push things along. Sit at home and wait, and Kaslin and I will take all the opportunities off your hands. We don't mind. Yeah, that's that's fine. That's so cool. And, like, what was it like working with someone like Kathy Bates, who's amazing? I... I was like, how am I, how am I going to feel? Cause I had worked with some like decent caliber stars before. Like I was driving Ron Perlman around in new Orleans. So I had him in my car all the time. I had Walton Goggins in my car all the time. I'd worked with Olivia Spencer when Octa- I mean, sorry, Octavia Spencer doing a film. I like, I had done that, but that was like skills they didn't have that I was there to like, mm-hmm. I mean, they could drive them, you know, but I was a provider something to do an acting scene with them so suddenly like my whole reel is like oscar winners we've got kathy bakes we've got angela bassett and it's just like oh it's heavy mm-hmm. it's heavy because also they're pull they're going to pull focus mm-hmm. because of who they are and everyone thinks oh i just need famous people in my real footage and sometimes that can be not so good because mm. they may not be watching you i see right it depends on the actor. I will say Jessica Lang was intimidating because she was not talkative. She was not chatty, but fortunately I had mm. very little to do with her. Like the scene that I was kind of in with her, we didn't interact and we were in two different time periods. So we ignored each other. Whereas like Kathy was like the mom that you want to have on set. Like she's warm she wants to have tea with you. She wants to hug you. She wants to make sure you're okay. She'll come up to you and be like, oh, you know, she's got that natural Southern twang. She's like, darling, we're going to see you in the next episode. And you're just like, I don't know. They haven't told me yet. And she's like, <laughs> welcome to television. And you're like, ah, 
Uh, and so, like, when somebody is, is so giving like that, the only time I was worried with her was when I had to strangle her. Okay. Because we a body double for her and the body double wasn't working on camera. They're like, it's just not working. We can't do this. We have to use Kathy. And so I had to shoot my arm out into her neck, you know, pretend to be squeezing it and pick her up. If you're working with another stunt person, you trust that stunt person to say when enough's enough or it's not safe because they, some people know Mm -hmm. to stop things unless they're idiots. That's why stunt people should be doing stunts and not acting. Yes. There's a training. Thank you. And it's tiring. You don't want to do your own Mm -hmm. stunts. It's so tiring. I do avoid it. If I'm an actor, I don't want to do my own stunts. I prefer a double. I feel. But I love at the same time. If that's all I'm doing, then I can drink some coffee and I can just go because I don't have to worry about emoting and all the other type of exhaustion. Mm -hmm. But to, to do that, that was the only time that I had trouble being in character or anything, because I was just like, don't hurt Kathy Bates. Don't. Right. <laughs> the end of your career. <laughs> if you hurt this woman, <sighs> you will never. Yeah. I can see how that would be like super scared. Uh, scary. I can't speak, but like, yeah, I mean, I think Kathy Bates is just amazing. And even I was watching her on um, Richard Jewell. Oh my God. She's just amazing she's kind of like a legend she's been around for so long but i understand what you're what you're saying like it's great to have these people in your reels because you're like working with these known actors but at the same time you don't want it to take away from you and i i didn't really think about that that much because i did a film with Corey feldman this past year and i was i'm so excited to get the footage and put it on my reel but now i'm like ah, yeah it may take away from me maybe well that's thing on building your reel is that you need that's why I, I think actors have to create their own content they have to know their brand and they have to know who they are if you have mm. to hire a writer to do it do it if you have to hire somebody to figure out what your brand is do it you just have to do what you have to do to do what you have to do and you need that footage i feel to catapult your reel at the beginning to be like mm. oh damn this girl's got some acting chops cut to American Horror Story. Oh, and she's worked with A-listers, so she knows how to handle herself on set. Smart. You want to do it in that order. But that first clip needs to be professionally produced. Yeah. And it needs to look like it is like a slice out of a feature film that won at Sundance that somehow the casting director hasn't seen yet. Mm-hmm, yeah. It has to be great. It's kind of setting the tone for everything else. Um, I definitely want to chat about uh, creating your own content because I know that's what you do. But I really want to ask you real fast. You do, because you had this role on American Horror Stories, you had so many opportunities with conventions and stuff. What kind of stuff did you did kind of come from American Horror Story? I did one yesterday. It's- <gasps> Yay! It's so weird because, like, I I work and then don't work. So Mm -hmm. I'm making money as an actor, and then I go back to waiting tables. And Mm -hmm. I am not afraid to say that, and a lot of actors are. They're like, oh, God forbid you know what my day job is, whereas I know a series regular on an Amazon Prime show that's been running for seven years that drives for Uber when he's not on that show. Mm, Wow. Series regular, guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> regular driving for Uber. I don't blame it. It's scary 
there's not like it's scary like when you don't know like what's coming next but it's also it's not just what's coming next where's your paycheck coming from like I'm lucky that I have all my side hustles as well mm-hmm. but I, I would probably do that too just I have no shame and I don't think there's I don't think there is any shame you got to make money and everyone's got to make money and pay their bills and that's the thing like I could ride off my residuals and the acting stuff that I'm doing now and live okay I wouldn't be able to really go out to eat at fancy places not that anybody can right at the moment but I've always been in class I've always been in dance class I've always been in like what special skill do I want to add to my resume this year class Mm. Um, I've always been like getting new headshots I don't fight that like actors like oh new headshots again it's like well if they're not working I'm going to go get more new headshots Mm-hmm. And I do them at least once a year. So that's about $2,000 before you start really factoring in like new clothes. Cause you're like, I don't go to cheap headshot photographers. I hire a makeup artist. I hire a hair person. I hire someone to go with me because I don't want to be by myself. Um, mm-hmm. You have that person to get you water, to hang up your clothes. I promise you it makes a world of difference in your headshots. And if you can just get a friend to do it for free, even better bring Mm -hmm. somebody with you and I don't do anything cheap and I don't have them cheaply reproduced and I don't like I put them on my actors access and I take down all of those photos that I paid $20 a photo last year that's like a couple hundred dollars and I update my actors access you know why because I am here in this life to work and to be an actor and for all of you that want to complain about all of that BS you have to do and some of it's BS well guess what Mm -hmm. there are people out there like me that are not complaining and they're doing the work and I am the person you're going to have to go up against in an audition boom hang on i will go out and buy an oh wait i wanted to do the applause i thought i thought it was a recording i'm like oh did we mess it all up (laughs) (laughs) no i I wanted to applause i mean there are a lot of really annoying things that we have to do but at the same time it's like well i'm out here doing it and this is the career i chose and i'm gonna keep doing it until i get where i want to be so if you don't want to you can go back home and i'll still be here bye exactly i figure that the day i could afford a house in los angeles maybe i can stop the side hustle but like until then like i don't want the money train to stop flowing obviously we're in kind of a pickle at the moment um, but I never want that to stop flowing because, like, then I might lose that opportunity. What if I need to fly to New Orleans next Tuesday for a producer session? I will drop that six $800 plus hotel plus rental car or take an Uber. And next thing you know, I'm spending over $1,000. For an audition, whereas there are actors who won't drive to Santa Monica or the Valley in Los Angeles. You know what's funny is when I when I was in L.A., um, I would have never, ever even thought about traveling my butt to, like, Phoenix or something. I would have never even thought about that. But now that I live here in Vegas, I'm like, oh, you want me to fly to Atlanta? Okay, just tell me when I'll, pick a, I'll, I'll book a flight. And luckily for me, like, I've been able to actually get a little bit of a savings here in Vegas. One, because the cost of living is cheaper. But, yeah. well, before the quarantine, there was a lot of opportunities for work. So I was able to make money. And I was very similar with you. I didn't have a problem going to an audition. And it's not that I want to spend $600, but if... I have to, then I will. Whereas opposed to when I was in LA, like I 
it wasn't even possible. I couldn't even, I couldn't even fathom the idea of spending that much money because I didn't have it. I'm, I'm with you. If, if that's what I got to do to, to get the audition and the job and Sometimes there's like, you know, less competition in other places and you have a better opportunity and that's where I want to go. No, no, no. Let me shut you down right there. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Hardcore. The best actors I have ever come across Mm -hmm. have been in the small market. Let me tell you something. While you're living out here in sunny California where everything's easy and the most we have to worry about is the traffic on the 405, oh, woe is me, and everybody's fake smiling and fake being like, oh, everything's great, my my career is awesome, they're lying through their teeth. And Mm -hmm. when you're lying all the time, you're lying in the audition room because you have put on this persona in Los Angeles for so long that you're acting as shitty in that audition room and the producers can feel it. And you bring those producers, because I have been in many, many, many a producer session on the Mm -hmm. other side of the table. You Mm -hmm. bring them in to a Shreveport or a New Orleans or an Atlanta. They were like, these actors have so much emotion. They're so raw. They are so so real. They don't care about their fake eyelashes and their extensions in their hair. They are coming in and they are being these characters. There's a reason why we have runaway protection and it's not all the tax credits. There's a reason Mm -hmm. why, because like it's a drop in the bucket for for the production to bring in a a co-star from LA. But Mm -hmm. when the talent's better in New Orleans. Why would you do that? And if you think that those actors don't train and don't take it seriously and are, are also not, like, driven and have not driven all over the Southeast or the Northeast or Chicago and are not training at Second City and have not come to Los Angeles just to study with Margie Haber for three months to go back mm-hmm. with that on their resume, you are living a pipe dream. It is not easier and the local market. So, I mean, Vegas is different. So that's where I am right now. I agree with what you're saying in terms of like, I know people drive places and they study, but in terms of like quantity, there's less amount of people. LA just has so many people. So if someone's only going to cast one role, they're only going to, you know, instead of having like 5,000 people to choose from, they may only have 500. And that's what I'm saying. But I I agree. Like Vegas. So Vegas. Yeah. Have like a massive film community. Whereas, like, you go to Atlanta, and Atlanta's been filming like in, in like 2019, they had more production than New York and Los Angeles combined. Mm-hmm. So, everyone's like, oh, Atlanta's small. Like, no, honey, Atlanta big. Well, it's also um, people in Atlanta. It's not just Atlanta. You have all the Carolinas, you've got Florida and all the talent coming from there. It's not just the community that lives in Atlanta. And that's one of the reasons I've always considered going there as well, because they do film a little bit in Tennessee and the Carolinas and Florida. It's kind of like all right there. And I just don't like humidity. I got problems with that. Well, pay attention. So Netflix, and this is why everyone needs to read the trade. You need to know what Mm -hmm. Deadline is and Hollywood Reporter. And when you know that Netflix just built a massive studio in, um, was it New Mexico? Albuquerque. Massive. And then you go and look Mm -hmm. at the housing prices and you're just like, that's so cheap. So cheap. Um, Yeah. I, I, I've I've been tempted just to buy a couple of duplexes out there and rent them out when 
the industry really starts popping out there because you know mm-hmm. you make some good money and then just have like that home address for Albuquerque and just be a local hire because Albuquerque is not that far of a drive from LA. Yeah. Well, you know, you can actually take a train from LA to Albuquerque because I know there's no train to Vegas, but I actually had to take a bus to get to, um, what's it called? Little something, Arizona, Littlefield, Arizona, uh, I, I know I'm not saying the, the city right, but I had to, from Vegas, I take a bus to this place in Arizona, and then I hop on the train from Arizona to Albuquerque, and but it's coming from L.A. So it is a bit of a hike, but I, I'm all on board with New Mexico right now. I'm, I'm trying to stock, stock them, pay attention. I know they got um, Netflix there. I think I heard NBC Universal there, and mm-hmm. any experiences that I've had there, I just walked on set, and I was like, hey, what are you guys doing? And nobody said anything to me. It was crazy, but I'm sure like as time goes by, they're going to be like, you know, what what the hell are you doing here? Like go through an agent or whatnot, but it's, it's very different in Albuquerque. I'm all about opportunity. So get the car. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're creating, okay. You need to tell me about this. I know you just created a short film and you were traveling around doing it. Tell me about this project you're working on. Um, so you're talking about two different projects. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, my hands are always dirty in a lot of different things. I know. So as somebody who's looking to create my own content, I have a big interest in directing. Okay. But here's the thing, you don't, and I've directed theater. I'm great theater director. I'm great Mm -hmm. at directing actors. Film's a whole different animal. And Mm -hmm. so I get really frustrated at these casting directors who are like, you should be making your own content. Just pick up your iPhone and just make content. And then you have real footage. And you're like, excuse me, that is the footage that you're going to watch and say, this isn't good enough. (laughs) This is terrible. I'm going to skip it. I'm never going to have this actor in my office because they're amateur. Mm -hmm. I don't think casting directors understand how hard it is to make a movie. So hard. I don't think... I don't think anybody does until you actually do it. Uh-uh. I really don't. I, I don't think you have any idea about the post, mm-hmm. pre, during. I think you just, you know, as actors, we just go in front of the camera, we learn our lines, and then we move on to the next. But there's so many other aspects that I would have never even known about had I started doing it myself. And I'm like, oh, my that- God. Oh, my God. It's taking forever just to render. I can't even upload it. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a lot. For all of you who were really smart and took place and took a part of all of the self-tape monologue challenges that were happening right at the top of quarantine, the landscape of self-taping is shifting, where mm-hmm. once it was like plain background and like, okay, camera and good mic and basic self-tape instruction, actors started getting creative because they were bored and there was also nothing to lose on these mm, auditions. That's true. Next thing you know, this casting director, these casting directors and these are small casting directors. They're like, you know, you know what I really like? I like that actor that did it outside in their porch. It made them look like they were actually in that world. I like that actor that set their living room up. Like it was a sitcom. It made me like just walk into the world better. I like that actor that set a stage and did a scene for me in their self-tape the biggest no-no we are told in self-tape those were the those were the actors that were rising to the top on these monologue challenges 
It's always like that. It's always doing the things that they say don't do, but the people who go outside the box are always like, oh, we love that. And I'm like, but but you told me not to, and I'm following directions, and then if I don't follow directions, then you get mad, and you're like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. So, so I started playing around with that, and I was like, you know what? I need to shoot my own short film. I'm going to write something, because I do know how to write. I'm a great writer. I'm a published writer. I've been publishing poems since I was in high school, so I'm like, all right, the writing I have down, I'm going to write something that I can shoot in this location, in locations that I have, with actors that I have, with props that I have, like everything that I have, so I don't have to spend money on anything. The only thing I spent money on was some um, paint, and I had the necklace made off of Etsy for this film. Other Mm -hmm. than that, I spent nothing. I used the the sound equipment I had, everything. I shot it in C-Log, which is flat, which is how film and productions are shot. They are not shot in these colors, like the colors you're seeing now. It would be so, we would make it look so bad. And I'm doing Mm -hmm. it without a monitor. So I'm literally guessing based off the histogram and the f-stop and the aperture and everything about how this is going to look. And the only things I have for this, because I edited it myself, and I used actors that I knew were quarantining together mm, yes. or were quarantining alone. And so we were all low risk and we discussed like where we had been. And so we knew we were, we were safe to be around each other, which is very important. Mm-hmm. And I have a colorist, um, I have a dailies colorist, John Rock from Photochem, who's interested in learning how to be a colorist colorist. And so he's actually, I'm doing this, I'm going to his place later today to do some more final color stuff on my film. So Yay. Colorist, and I have someone doing the music for my film. But other than that, I'm doing everything else. Because not only do I think I would be a great director, because I was supposed to be, there are two things that were supposed to happen before COVID. Oh, no. One, in March and April, I was supposed to be in Scotland. And a lead in a film called Widows of the Departed, where I played a vampire from Pennsylvania, and it was going to be amazing. It was going to be in Scotland for, for two mm. months. Oh, my there? God. That would, be, that would be amazing. Yeah. We're trying to figure out how to make it happen. It's a little hard to get Americans to travel right now. Our passports don't work pretty much. Yeah. Um, and I was putting up a, a feature that I had written, but I had written it to be performed on stage first. And it's, I wanted to put a horror film on stage with all of the horror film elements because I've never seen a horror done on stage. Mm-hmm. I've seen, like, The Pillow Man, which is psychologically messing with you, like, what, Phantom of the Opera? That's not really scary. That's a tragic love story. I've never seen horror done on stage. Okay, interesting. And I was supposed to be in production for that because I was going to turn that into a feature film. Like, it was just, I had this whole, everybody had plans. Mm -hmm. I know. I know. So I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to do this, do this short film because I also want to know, I'm like, all right, how do I up my game on my self-tape? That's smart. Because if I can shoot a feature film, then I can shoot more real footage for stuff that I know I'm right for and then just write films around it and then not only do I have a short film I can post but I've got better real footage that I can put off of but you're making a name for yourself mm-hmm. and people are expecting you to be a content creator slash actor these days 
slash everything slash 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 and you're like did you do everything yourself on this project besides like you said besides you said music and coloring like when you guys were filming were you doing everything I I was the camera operator. I was the DP. I was sound. I was lockdown. I was the first AC. I was all the ACs. Clapping the board. <laughs> I was the only thing. The the only thing I told the actors. I was like, look, I love you guys. <laughs> That's my kitchen. That's where craft services is. You can eat and drink whatever you want. Please don't make me make your coffee in the middle of this. I've got an espresso machine. I've got a frother. Whatever you want to do, just please don't make me also cook for you. I've got chicken in the fridge. I've got sandwiches. Like, please. Yeah, that would be a lot. That was the line that I drew. I'm like, anytime you're hungry, please just go feed yourself. I can't see craft services once I've got a camera in my hand. No, I figured I had a feeling you were going to be doing everything because I feel like even when we were dancing together, I feel like you were creating your own content, like even back then, like I feel like you've been doing this for a long time. And that's why I like you because I, I feel like you're always doing things and pushing yourself forward. You're not just sitting around like you're constantly proactive and working and doing things and... I can appreciate that. Yeah. The funny thing is I've done more voiceover work this year, even before COVID that I've done in my, I never thought of myself as a voiceover actor, Mm -hmm. but because of connections I made at conventions, which are such good places to make conventions. Mm. I've booked so much work off of people that I got drunk with or partied with or just hung out with or complained with or had a table with or Mm -hmm. whatever it was at the conventions had a common enemy with. I don't, I know we kind of got into it real fast. These conventions you do are um, like horror conventions. What are those again? Horror conventions. And and it's, it's an ego check because you learn real fast that with very few exceptions, like me, like not even like people are there and they want to talk to you because they're a fan of the show that you were in. They're not a fan of you. I got it. Okay. The job as, as an actor building your career and building your social media and building your fan base is to make those people who are fans of your show a fan of you before they leave your table. Mm, I like that. Yeah, because, like, if you can talk to them and be friendly and they're like, oh, my God, you are so nice and I can't believe you're taking that picture with my kid and, and you did this and you did that. Like, I'm going to tell everyone how great you are and they'll send people to your table because it's like they, they feel when you're in the middle of like Virginia and the idea of even meeting somebody who met somebody that you love who actually touched them like like they, they lose their mind I've had girls it's always girls usually around 12 13 approach my table falling teeny boppers I love like it they are sobbing like I'm Justin Timberlake oh <laughs> why are you crying? And their mom's like, they love you. They've been talking about you coming here, you know, and you know, it's just because you were in the show that they love mm-hmm. and you touched that 
thing that touches their heart and their spirit and, and gives them, you know, especially as a teenager, that angsty stuff that we all have and we latch on to yeah. a show and it means so much to us. And you're like, oh, God, if I could meet an actor from that show, like my life would be like I could die and I would be OK. And so knowing that you are just kind of passing on that magic to them. And, like, mm-hmm. crossing the boundary of the table and being like, well, if you're not coming to me, then I'm coming to you. And we're taking a picture together and I'm not charging you. I don't even care because, like, you care. Mm-hmm. And then everyone freaks out and, like, you become, like, the best person. And then the convention's like, we want to have you back every year. And and you, you build that reputation that way. And some mm-hmm. actors... You'll see it if you've been to a convention. They're just sitting there on their phone. They're not talking to anybody. They're not engaging with anybody. They look bored. They're just there for their guaranteed because they're guaranteed to make at least five grand that day or whatever it is. And so they could care less if somebody gets their photo. Whereas, like, I can't. I I get bored. Like, I'll go talk to the other actors. I'll go find people in Doctor Who costumes that I like and take pictures with them because I'm a big Doctor Who fan. You know, and and I engage. And it's all Mm -hmm. about building your career. It's all it. Because the next time they see you in something, they're going to freak out. And they're going to pull up your picture on their social media. And they are going to be a big part of you getting more exposure. If you're going to be like, ah! I met Kaslyn when she did that movie with Corey Feldman and I got my picture and now she's a series regular on this. Oh my God. I don't know whatever you're going to be at. I can't wait to watch the show because I love Kaslyn and then all their friends are like, okay, oh my God, my friend knows the actor from that show. I'm going to watch it too. And next thing you know, your ratings are going up and the studio has no idea why everyone's like talking about you, but they don't care. They're going to put you in more episodes. Yeah. You know when that... That, that makes sense. You know, and that's like part of what we do as actors is that's why we do it. And anybody in the arts is to have other people feel things like I think that's mm-hmm. super important. Um, and I'm going to um, how can we how can we um, stay in contact with you? Like, how do we see you? Like phone number. is okay. mm. um, <laughs> um, You can contact me um, if you have questions for my podcast especially at hollywood actors guide at gmail.com um you can reach me on my instagram at jennifer lynn warren um right now it's a lot of pictures of national parks because that's what i've been doing yay um yeah i'm pretty easy to find find me on my imdb all my contact information is on there um and i i I do want to close out before we go. There's there is one thing I want to make sure I say. Oh, we still have the moment of positivity coming up. That's we're not done yet. That's right. Well, I'm all, I always <laughs> so much. I was like, I'm not worried about that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but before we get to that, I, and 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 I, I have a bit of tough love on my part. Uh-huh. You know, I'm nice. I'm like the nicest. You know me. I'm a very nice person. But mm-hmm. when it comes to like going after what you want, I want to give you guys some tough love. Okay. So I want to ask you, if you're home, now if you've got kids, you have somebody sick, you are like you're really struggling financially and you're like living on people's couches, obviously this does not apply to you and my heart goes out to you because it's hard enough to be an artist as it is and have yeah. all this other crud on us. Is It's hard. But there are a lot of you, a lot of you, that 
were waiting tables and now you're on unemployment and you have that extra $600 a week. And even though life is scary, you were okay. And if you've been okay, you've been able to survive these last couple months, I want to know what you're doing with your free time. Because when there's mm-hmm. no possibility of being paid for what you claim you love, are you doing the thing that you love? Because I would ask that you reevaluate whether or not this very, very difficult and heartbreaking career path as an actor is right for you. If you weren't picking up those monologue challenges, if you weren't jumping on, I don't care, TikTok, if you don't see what people like David Lynch is doing, who built like a theater in his backyard and is doing some, I'm not going to say bad, but uncomfortable and weird theater right now because he doesn't care if people like it Mm -hmm. because he can't help but create. If you can't be like um, Jason, oh God, what's his name? He's doing all these funny short films that I, I hate know. myself forgetting his name right now or or Pony Smasher David Sandberg the director of Annabelle mm-hmm. Creates and Shazam he and his wife got their start from Lights Out doing that short film like 12 years ago in their apartment in Sweden I think it was and they're bored during mm-hmm. quarantine do you know what they're doing mm-hmm. they're making short films no one's paying them to do that. Why are they doing that? Because David loves to direct, and he's not going to wait for anyone to pay him or give him permission to do it. Because when there's no opportunity to be paid, what are you doing? Because if it's not acting, if you're not putting gets together to make your nieces laugh or doing stupid things with your friends, are you really that passionate about acting, or are you just trying to get famous? Good question. That's a really good question. Um, I got my answer, so go ahead and ask yourself that. And that brings me to—I love that so much. Um, that brings me to our moment of positivity. So this is, yeah, this is my moment of positivity. Um, this is a tough industry. This is a tough time period that we're in the midst right now. It's hard, and if you have any. Um, Things that make you feel better, positive quotes. I'm going to give the honors of the moment of positivity to you, Jennifer Lynn Warren, today. So I'd like to piggyback off of what I just said, because there are some actors out there that are like, I am driven, I am motivated, but I'm crying right now because what she just said hurt my feelings because I haven't made anything. And I wanted to use the moment of positivity to teach you how to get into that moment, because I know Mm -hmm. that. And I've had the same thing to claim that I haven't gone into not being motivated and depressed and having a hard time getting out of bed during COVID. I would be lying because there have been moments that this has Mm -hmm. come crashing down on me. But let me tell you why. And I'm going to tell you what to do about it. There's a thing. It's it's very real. Mm -hmm. Very. You know me. I love my science. It's called moral fatigue. Okay. And if you can't get yourself to do anything, it's because you're having moral fatigue. And it's because there was a time that we would just need to go get milk at the grocery store. We could get up, go in our car, go to get milk at a grocery store. And Mm -hmm. we've done it a million times. Now, now we have to make sure, did I bring my mask? Did I bring my hand sanitizer? Is that person standing too close to me? Oh, my God, is this store safe enough? Should I have gone to to, um, Whole Foods instead of Ralph's because they take it more seriously? Is that person standing too close to me? Their kid just took off their mask. They're touching everything. Should I even touch, like, the thing to open the milk thing? Maybe it's not (laughs) worth having milk because I actually have to touch something to 
open it. Should I get avocados? How many people have touched this avocado today? How do you even sterilize an avocado? You know, you're going through all of this, and there's only so many decisions you can make in a day, and there's only so much your mind can handle. So you're having all of this fatigue. It's called moral fatigue, if you guys want to look it up. And you need to have a day set aside to go through mm-hmm. all the BS of COVID. So it's the day that you do all your shopping, you go out into the world, you catch up on the news if you have to, you deal with friends that are like, you know, need to be reached out to. And then you at least, I, I try to do that for one day a week. And then the other six days, it's, it's surprising you caught me on Facebook. And the only reason you caught me on Facebook is I was actually posting something for a friend of mine because I help him with his social media. I've actually been oh. off of Facebook quite a Mm -hmm. bit unless I'm promoting something. I'll go out, promote, and then jump off. You need to Mm -hmm. wake up, have a very nice day. You need to turn off your Wi-Fi. Yeah. I know. A thousand people just had a heart attack. You need to not check the news. No news checking. If COVID ends, somebody's Mm going to reach out to you and let you know. You're going to find out. Don't worry. There's going to be cheering in the streets. But you need to get, you need to turn off your Wi Fi. You need to shut down your computers and you need to let yourself get bored. And I know you want positivity and you're like, where's Jennifer going with this? This all sounds like gloom and doom and like horrible. But let me tell you something our brains are overloaded right now. Yeah, they are. And as an, as, as an actor, and this is also advice when you guys have auditions to work on turn off your Wi Fi. Shut down your computers. Turn off your phone. Step away. Let yourself get devastatingly bored. Do you remember when you were a kid mm-hmm. and you got really bored and you you created an entire world in an afternoon and it was so easy to write and create? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. The only difference between then is then and now, of course, your younger listeners may not understand is we didn't have Facebook and Instagram and all of these distractions. And a lot of depression that's happening in people right now is because they are chasing the dopamine hit that those alerts on Facebook and Instagram give us. And you need to get rid of that. You just, and I mean, as actors, we have to have social media, so it's there, but you need to be able to turn it off and see what happens. You're allowed to read, you're allowed to write, but there, there's going to be some agonizing time, but something is going to click. It might happen in five minutes. It might happen in five hours, but you're going to do this all day long. And suddenly you're going to want to act. You're going to want to get out some checkoff. You're going to want to do that monologue from the seagull. You're going to want to put it on tape and just post it on Instagram for the world to see or send it to your agent and be like, see, I told you I could do checkoff. Here's, here's my proof that I could do checkoff. You're going to want to do things and then you are going to be so happy. Yay. I promise you're going to be so happy and you're going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe I did this. And then the next day your Wi-Fi is going to be back on and you're going to be sad and you're going to wonder why. And then I'm going to say, do this again. Just do it again and do it again and do it again. And because we're addicted to all of those things that come out of San Francisco, Mm -hmm. like crack, it's harder to give up Facebook and Instagram than it is for most people to get off of drugs. Yeah, I I do. I think we're very overstimulated, like all the time, especially with what's going Mm -hmm. on now with COVID and our political climate. I feel like we're just so, there's just so much, like it's, it's really hard. So I'm going to say that's our moment of uh, positivity. Turn 
off internet. <laughs> I like it. Give yourself self-love. It is the biggest act of self-love. If you are depressed right now, tell all that stuff. It can screw itself. You can bleep me if you want. <laughs> and just, just shut it out. It, it's doing you no good. It's like being in a relationship with like a really horrible person. Yeah. They're, they love you back. You keep giving you all of your attention and love to Facebook and Instagram. And as platforms, I actually love them. I enjoy mm-hmm. them. But they're dangerous. Yeah. They're dangerous as an actor and as a creator, a writer, all those things. Direct Anybody right now. So yeah, we're going to say turn off all of your um, devices after you have listened to my podcast, Always Acting Up, and Jennifer's podcast. Hang on, I have it, I have it, I have it. The... Hollywood Actor's Guide to Surviving the Film and TV Industry. And that's found on all podcast platforms. Yeah, it's everywhere. If you can't, you know, because there's a link broken. But yeah, we're everywhere. Spotify. I like Overcast. Overcast is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so turn off, but follow our stuff first. Do it a like. Do it a comment. And um, yeah, any, 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 anything else? Any last words? I will say podcasting is like listening to audiobooks. So you can turn your Wi-Fi off on your phone and still listen to podcasts because there are some podcasts that are good candy for your brain. That's what I do. I do my dishes and I'm listening to podcasts. I want to walk. I listen to podcasts. Sometimes I get sick of music. I'm like, I got to go listen to a Mm -hmm. podcast. Well, I'm going to wrap this up here. Thank you so much for joining. You guys make sure to follow um, on her Instagram, her podcasts and uh, like comment, subscribe, any questions, suggestions, let us know. And um, you guys, thanks, Jen. Talk to you next now time. I'm going to try to find video of us dancing together as belly dancers and tag you in this just so people can see. Okay, guys, stay tuned. <laughs> you can dance now. <laughs> <laughs>